welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we'll be in Exodus chapter 20. Go ahead and turn there. While we go there, let's talk about a story. How many of you are familiar with the story of Pinocchio? Let me see your hands if you know Pinocchio. That's right. So Pinocchio was originally a book in the late 1800s. Many of us know it from the Disney adaptation that came out in the 1940s. And, and the story of Pinocchio is one that, that I don't know, it just kind of it has embedded itself in our culture somehow. We all kind of know the story. An old wood carver named Geppetto gets lonely and he carves for himself a puppet that he calls Pinocchio. And Pinocchio comes to life through some. I don't even know how it works. And Pinocchio wants nothing more than to be a real boy. And the story of Pinocchio is him trying to figure out how to do that. And although he is not a real boy, he has a lot of the traits of real boys. He gets in trouble a lot. But his biggest vice, the thing that he messes with a lot, the thing that he messes up the most at is what? He lies all the time. And what I love about Pinocchio, because Pinocchio thought that this wasn't going to be a big deal, is that for some reason he had this visible sign that it's not okay if he lies what was that sign his nose grows don't you wish that happened in real life today can you imagine sitting in an interview and somebody's interviewing somebody and if they tell a lie their nose grows a little bit like wouldn't that be awesome how many tickets could we sell to a presidential debate if liar liar's pants really did light on fire like that you could fill up the superdome with that stuff like it would be awesome if that worked but it didn't but i love the way pinocchio uh, lays out because with pinocchio he always tells a lie because for some reason in his mind he thinks a lie is better than the truth and if we're being honest with ourselves don't we at times think that as well isn't that why we're tempted to lie is because from time to time we tend to think a lie is a better than the truth we all believe this but according to god according to the bible a lie no matter the circumstances is is never better than the truth We've been in a series and we're going through the Ten Commandments in the series called Written in Stone. And what we're looking at is this design for the relationships that God meant for us to have. We're going to be finishing this series next week after 11 weeks. And this week we're looking at commandment number nine. If you've got your Bibles, read this with me. Exodus 20, Exodus 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So the commandment this week is very simple. Don't bear false witness. And I don't know if any of you have ever said that to me. Well, Brian, we've got a problem in the church. So-and-so is bearing false witnesses. We don't say that on TV, in a TV show. What happened? Why are they fighting on that? Oh, well, he was bearing a false witness to his wife. We don't say that. So we need to break down. What does it actually mean to bear a false witness? Some, some translations say, do not bear a false testimony. What it really means is to testify falsely. And what I love about the way the Bible puts this out is it has a courtroom feel to it, doesn't it? It's got like that drama. When you start talking about witnesses and testimony, it feels like a court. And I love that because it kind of gives us this concept of, of when we're bearing false witness or when we're testifying falsely, kind of gives us this sense that we're in court and we're on the stand and they're like, hey, what's, and they're asking us questions and they're looking for us to tell the truth and, and maybe we're lying and maybe that's what a false witness is. And, and while it might be tempted to think that because this has like legal language in it, it might be tempted for us to think, oh, well, this is to keep people from lying in court. 
And I think to a degree that's true because every day when it comes to talking about people, when it comes to relaying, it comes to relaying information to people, don't we all live in the court of public opinion? Every last one of us and all of us, we live in a court of public opinion where people are making up their minds about us day to day. I don't know if this is real life or not, but I love old westerns. I love to watch the old cowboy movies, you know, the shoot 'em ups and the cows and the horses and all that kind of stuff. And what is the quickest thing that will get you shot when you're in that saloon? You walk up to somebody and they're playing cards and you call them a liar, right? And then they're always like, what did you call me? And then they, you know, start pulling out guns and start shooting at each other. The reason for that is, is because it is important what people perceive of us in this court of public opinion. And as we see here in the scripture, God may not be a cowboy, but God cares about how we relate information about other people. God cares about what our testimonies are. And all a testimony is, is relating what you know about something or somebody. Let me be very clear as we talk about this. Testimony is not relating what you think you know. It is what you know, what you have witnessed, what you can attest to be true. Just the facts equals truth. Anything more or more or anything more or less equals a lie. And since we're talking about courtrooms, what is the courtroom definition of truth? We've all seen it on TV, right? It's a court drama and the guy's going up to the witness stand and he's about to witness against this leader or that cartel or whatever. And they have him put his hand on the Bible. And what does he say? Do you swear to tell the truth? But that's not enough. Why is it not enough for them to just say, do you swear to tell the truth? Because they add two more things to it. What do they add? Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And I love that in, in, even in our society, even in this broken world, we understand truth enough to know that truth is not truth just because you say part of it. And truth is not truth because you say part of it right and then you add it. Truth is only truth when it is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. For today's purposes, we're going to call that perfect truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And in God's word, he has this value for perfect truth for truth that has nothing added to it and nothing taken away to it, especially when it comes to other people, especially when it comes to putting our reputation on the line, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That is, that is God's perfect truth. And it's very important to him. You notice that this is in the 10 commandments. It's right there by murder and by stealing. And I always ask myself, why did God put this in this place? Because it seems really small. Compared to taking somebody's life, telling a little white lie about why I was late to church this morning, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. So why would God put this little, what we might think of as a little sin, why would he put this in the Ten Commandments? And in, in order to understand this, we have to understand what our options are and what the origins of those two options are when it comes to giving a witness or giving a testimony or in good old Arkansas talk, talking. What are our two options in the way that we discuss people and events? Well, option number one is that perfect truth. The truth with nothing added to it and nothing taken away from it. And everything else is a lie. Everything else is a non-truth. And we may look at that like, okay, you've got the option to tell the truth or you've got the option to lie. We may look at that like it's the option between left or right. Or it's like 50-50, you can go one way or the other. But I think I would argue that when you talk about a perfect truth, a truth with nothing added and nothing taken away, I think it's a much narrower path to tell a perfect truth than it is to tell a non-truth or to tell a lie. 
I think it's a narrow path versus a wide freeway of ways that we can go when it comes to communicating about people. And it's interesting when you talk about these different paths, the narrow path of truth versus the wide freeway of non-truth or the wide freeway of lie. It kind of reminds me of something else the Bible says, where Jesus himself says the path to destruction is wide, but the path to salvation is narrow. And so it tells us something about truth and lies, that there is a possibility for destruction in here. Listen to what God says about the path that is not perfect truth. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, These things doth the Lord, Lord hate. It's a strong word in the Bible. God hates these. Yea, seven are an abomination, another strong word unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, uh, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Again in Proverbs 12:22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. God speaks very clearly in the Bible about lying. God speaks very clearly in the Bible about his desire for us as his followers to be truthful. To, to follow perfect truth in everything that we do. And it uses two strong words. It uses the word hate, which we all understand. What does it mean to hate? Is, is this horrible dislike for something? But that word that always stuck out to me, and, and at a time in my life when maybe I wasn't living a perfect truth, these verses stuck out to me because I came to Proverbs and I was reading through it, and it uses that word an abomination. And that's a word we use for what we consider big sins. Like that's what we say about things like God doesn't like that. That's an abomination. That's a big one. And God uses that about lying. What an abomination means is things that cause disgust. Things that cause disgust to God. And I was trying to think of, of things that are disgusting, that cause dis- disgust. And in the current mindset that I'm in and in my life right now, the best thing I could come up with is a uh, poopy diapers because that's what we live in in my house like I don't even hardly change them anymore I've got a, like this gag reflex and I start trying to throw up but but like there's there's this moment where you know my daughter comes up to me and she'll go Chewy. that's that's her cosign for you need to change a diaper and you can smell it and it's just like it's horrible and then you you have to look at it and then it gets on your hand and then she kicks and it's just horrible it's the most disgusting thing I can think of and I was thinking of, of things that disgust people that's that's currently what's going on in my life but even that is not a fragile as disgusting as what God says that he feels like when we as his people tell lies when we fail at the perfect truth our first take home truth is this is God hates anything less than perfect truth because it is opposed to his nature let's be very clear God hates anything less than perfect truth God doesn't just say oh they messed up and they didn't get all the details right God despises lying lips God finds it an abomination when we bear false witness to him. It disgusts him when we do this. And in order to understand that, we have to understand, again, a definition as God puts it in the Bible. Because our definition of telling the truth is like is, is the correct detailed plan of events that happened to somebody or something that happened. That's kind of how we look at truth, but that's not how God defines truth. Truth is defined as nature or as a nature in the Bible. Jesus walking around, Jesus came and he said, I am the truth. Now it's interesting because how can you be the truth when the truth deals with the correct telling of events? But Jesus here says he is the perfect truth. And I want you to look at this. Jesus uses the truth as a personal identifier, not an identifier of his personality. 
He, he uses it as a name, as a trait that is him. Not something that he does, but as part of who he is. He is the truth. And so when we discuss the perfect truth, when we discuss nothing but the truth, nothing added, nothing taken away, nothing omitted, Jesus raises his hand and says, that's who I am. I'm the truth. And it's interesting to me that we tend to think of the truth as like, do we say the truth or do we do the truth? But Jesus says, no, the truth is a person. And the truth is a nature of that person. And what we know about truth is that truth is fundamentally opposed to all non-truth. Fundamentally opposed to lies. Fundamentally opposed to false witnesses. They're complete opposites of each other. And yet Jesus says, I am the truth. And Jesus is God. And so what that tells us about God is God is fundamentally opposed to lies and to non-truths and to to false witnesses. They're non-compatible and they're opposites. Now that that makes sense if you think about the origin of non-truth. If if God is truth and he is fundamentally opposed to non-truth, it makes sense when you think about, well, where does non-truth come from? In the Bible, there's this, this little character, I guess I should say he's a big character, and we just tend to refer to him as Satan, the opposer or the accuser, and he's, he's always running around causing trouble. And, and be clear, Satan is not a little red guy with hooves and a pitchfork laughing when we make a mistake. He is a mastermind at destroying the human race. And you know what the Bible calls Satan? His title is the father of lies, the father of non-truths. And Satan's job in this world is to be fundamentally opposed to God, who is truth. And so we start to see this relationship between God and lies, God and false witnesses, and God and non-truths, is that they are absolutely opposite of each other. Uh, But I find it interesting the way the Bible talks about Satan here. It's an interesting word to call somebody the father of something. He He is the father of lies. Because I take that to mean he's the creator of lies, but that's not the word God used. God, God, in all his wisdom, making the Bible, could have used any word he wanted to to describe Satan, and he chose the word father. And, and that tells us something about Satan and his relationship with lies. I think it tells us that Satan breeds lies. Because isn't that what fathers do? As is, is father, you, bestow, you, get the, you get the title of father when you create something else, when there's a little version of you. And so as Satan is called the father of lies, does that not mean that he breeds lies? And that makes a little bit of sense if you think about the way that we talk about genealogies in the Bible. How many of you know the song Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. How many sons did Abraham have? You guys are all confused now. You're like, I don't want to be wrong in front of the preacher. Abraham had one son, two sons had two sons. He had one true son and one other. He didn't have many sons. Why, why do we say that Abraham had many sons? Because we look at, at all of those nations that come behind him when you get down to Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12. When you get down to all those generations of Israel that come behind him, they refer to him as Father Abraham because he was the father of that nation. He was the father of that covenant. What, what do we say at the end of that song? I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And then, I don't know, do, 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 do. Anyway, but the, the thing of it is, is when we look at Abraham, it's a genealogy term to call somebody father of something. And so when we look at Satan, we say he is the father of lies. That means you follow that genealogy back all the way back to Satan. If you look in your Bible, the part that we always like to skip over because it has all those fun names that we don't like to say, 
where it says so-and-so begat and then they begat and they begat and they begat. What I'm telling you is there's a genealogy of every lie. And if you follow those begats back, guess where it's going to end up? Guess where the top of that tree is? Top of that tree is Satan as the father of lies. But it also tells us something about the nature of lies. Not only does Satan breed lies, but it tells us that lies can be bred. Lies are like rabbits. Like, like they just, you, you tell one and then there's 12 more. And then each of those 12 provide 12. And, and everybody knows if you tell a lie, you've got to tell another lie. If I'm stressed out and I'm tired and I'm just in a bad mood and I make a decision, I'm going to go hang out with my boys tonight. I'm going to lay out the old Arkansas term. I'm going to lay out all night. And I come home at 1130 having not told my wife where I am or what I'm doing. She's going to ask me one question. Where you been? And now I've got it out of my system. And I don't want to be in trouble. And so somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm like Pinocchio. Something tells me a lie here would do more good than a truth. My wife finds out I've been laying out with my friends all over town all night. I'm going to be in trouble. So I tell the lie, honey, lie number one, I've been to church. She says, really? And I can see that the lie's working because suddenly she's intrigued instead of mad, right? She's, she's, She's not upset. She's like, you were at church. Why were you at church at 1130 at night? Well, now I've got to start working because the lie seems to be worse. She's not as mad. Now, now what do I have to do? I, I, have, to, I have to make up another lie. Well, um, I had to go to church. I had to do like some uh, uh, emergency, number two, emergency marriage counseling. Like I'm the ER doctor of marriages. I had to meet somebody. It was an emergency. Their marriage was in trouble. And she, she goes, really? At 1130 at night? Lie number three. Yes, at 1130 at night. Had to meet somebody for marriages. And then she goes, okay, well, well who was it? Who, 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 who's having marriage problems? They have to talk to you right now that it's so, so big that you can't call me and that you have to be at church. And then I go to lie number four. It's, uh, it's Larry and Glenita. They're having issues. They, they, they need something. And then it just goes, really? Larry and Glenita? How, they've been married for like 80 years. How are, how are they having? I love y'all. How, how, are, how are they having problems? And then I go to lies like six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. I'm like, well, baby, I'm not supposed to tell everybody this, but Glenita started drinking a few months ago and Larry wants her to quit and it's causing all kinds of problems. And then before you know it, I told a string of 15 lies just to cover where I was. Now, before I go any farther, let me just, I promised Glenita this morning, I would clear this up. Larry and Glenita are not having marriage problems. Glenita is not drinking a lot. Although I will say this, If she was, we would handle that with grace and understanding. Because after all, she's been married to Larry for 80 years, and who could blame her, right? (laughs) So (laughs) there's my jokes. I asked permission to pull those jokes before I started. But, But lies breed lies. They're like chips. You ever tried to eat one potato chip? You can't eat one potato chip. If you eat one, you're gonna eat 17. And that's the way lies are, is a lie will breed, and it will cause more lies, and it will cause more lies. And if you trace that genealogy back, all lies trace them back to Satan the one who opposes God. Our next take-home truth is this. Satan opposes God's truth with less than truth. Let's be clear here about these two paths that we can take. There's the narrow path of perfect truth, or there's the wide freeway of, we'll just call it less than truth. We don't have to call it lies. And Satan wants us to fall into that less than truth pathway. But that's a high bar when you talk about perfect truth. That's a narrow way. It's almost impossible to attain. And I think what the scripture calls us to today as we look at this is, is what is reflected in my life? Do I reflect the very narrow path of perfect truth every time I talk to or about someone or an event? Or am I on that wide path of of less than truth? 
that when I talk, maybe something's added or maybe something's taken away. Which one reflects me? In each of these commandments, because some of these commandments are, are pretty easy for us, we spend a lot of time talking about the heart of the issue. I don't expect that any of you have went out and killed anybody this week. But we talk about murder because it's a heart issue, as the Bible says. I don't think that any of you shoplifted after my, my blistering sermon on the, on the sins of shoplifting last week. I don't think anybody did that. But we talked about the heart of not being content with what God wants you to. But when it comes to the narrow path of perfect truth, I don't think we need to talk about the heart because I think this is one of the commandments that we fail out in action. I think that we fail to reflect perfect truth in the way that we communicate with others because it is almost unattainable. And part of that is a heart problem. Because especially when it's about people, how we view people is how we communicate about people. The Bible says what's in your heart or what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. And so when we bear false witness, when we lie, when we embellish, when we gossip, those things come from a heart that is steeped in lies about people. Now, let me be clear. I'm not... I'm not accusing you of straight up lying. Like nobody has ever come in here and been bored and guess like Brian, guess what? So and so, you know, robbed a bank. Nobody nobody's ever done that here. But less than truths are, are very sneaky things. Very sneaky things when you start talking about things that might creep into that perfect truth. What about embellishment when we add a little bit to the story? All of a sudden, all my fishermen are getting a little bit convicted in here, right? Because it's always like, man, you should have been there when I caught that one bass. It was like this big. I'm serious. I couldn't believe it. I threw my rod out there when I pulled it in. That thing was this big. And then I got it home and everybody, nobody could believe that I caught a fish that was this big. Like, like, and deer hunters do it too. I don't know how many deer I've missed. And they're the biggest deer in the state of Arkansas. Like, that's it. But think about that when it comes to other stores. Do we ever add a little bit to a story? Maybe put some more details that we're not real sure about, but they seem like they would fit, but we're not positive if they're true. I think that we would miss the perfect truth because the perfect truth is nothing but the truth, nothing added. On the other hand of it, you could also look at the sneakiness of omissions where we, where we don't tell the whole truth. And sometimes we, we relay a story and we, we forget a detail because the detail doesn't, it, it doesn't meet our narrative. I'm talking about this one person and yeah, there's, there's that one part that doesn't really fit what I'm trying to push out there about this person, but yeah, it's okay. I, that, that part doesn't matter. That, that's, a, that's a lie of omission where we don't tell everything. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth is a perfect truth. And nowhere do we see this more than when we're drawn into gossip. And gossip is a, is a tricky thing, isn't it? It's easy to get pulled into, like, somebody tells you something or you hear something and you've got the juicy juice and you're like, I want to tell somebody. And, and there's not a person in here that doesn't fail at that a little bit. Like, I just can't wait to tell what I know. And maybe you do or, or maybe you don't. But all of a sudden, we start to hear things in churches like, well, you know, Brown, people are, people are saying, uh, I, I, we even pre preface, I, I don't want to gossip, but uh, I heard this, that, or the other. And have you ever noticed that those things that get passed around when those phone lines get hot and people start calling around and they're giving their opinions and they're commentating on this event or that event or what somebody did or didn't do, have you ever noticed that it's always negative? Nobody gossips about positive things. N nobody ever has a good thing to say that goes spreads like wildfire about people. D did you hear what so-and-so did? They, they gave this much to the church. Did you hear about them? They, they made this good choice in their life. It's, it's, always, it's always the negative. 
and it affects us in a small town, in a small community, in a, in a small church where we get drawn into this negativity of, of these rumors or stories that maybe parts of were embellished or parts of them were omitted. You guys know I love old TV shows, right? Andy Griffith is one of the best TV shows that was ever made. It's wholesome, it's fun, it's entertaining. Who hates Barney Fife? Nobody. If you do, find another church. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I, I love that. And, and there's this episode of, um, of the Andy Griffith show in the small town of Mayberry. This, like, if there was heaven on earth, it's Mayberry. And a 16-year-old decides he wants to be a journalist. And so what he does is he begins to create a column called Mayberry After Midnight. And it's the gossip section of it. You guys may remember this episode. So you've got this little 16-year-old kid and he's peeking around corners and he's seeing stuff and it's like oh Jared and Kim they went and got ice cream last night at 9.32 and everybody's reading this in the paper and calling each other and goes why do you think they were getting ice cream do you think do you think they're dating what are they doing they don't get out you guys go to Hobby Lobby we used to see y'all all the time when we were dating but anyway and it's all of this different stuff and these rumors would go flying throughout Mayberry because of this this little uh, newspaper article called Mayberry After Midnight and one episode, the rumor about Andy and Helen gets out. This is one of the best episodes. Andy has a, a watch problem and it's broke. And so he goes, he goes down to the jewelry store and says, hey, can you fix my watch? It needs whatever, a new hand or a new glass. And, and he's walking out of there and he's carrying a little bag. And I think it was Barney that saw him. And Barney assumes Andy just bought an engagement ring. And he goes telling everybody. He didn't tell people, I saw Andy leaving the store. He says, I saw Andy leaving the store, and he was carrying a bag that had an engagement ring in it. And throughout this whole episode, what this rumor eventually turns into is Andy is proposing to Helen Crump tonight. And Andy and Helen go out on a date having no clue what's going on, come back to Andy's house, and there's a surprise engagement party for him. Surprise! Congratulations! You're engaged! And all from a little bitty misunderstanding. And rumors, even though that's TV, even though that's fiction, Rumors and gossip work that way. They, they tend to grow. They tend to be embellished. Certain facts tend, tend to be omitted in them. And we get away from what we would call perfect truth. Do you guys ever play, I don't, I don't know what it's called. It's called message or mailman or something where you, when you were a kid and you sit in a circle and you, and you whisper a message to the first person and you got to pass it all around. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you start off with, with a simple message like, the monkey ran up the tree. But by the time it goes through 20 people, you get the message coming back out, there's something funky in my tea. Like, it's, it's, it's not the same thing. It maybe it sounds similar. But by the time it goes through 20 people, the message begins to change. And this is what we fight in our church. This is what we fight in our community. Like I said, I don't think we're going to hear a lot of straight lies, but I think we hear a lot of... A lot of stories that are embellished are stories with omitted truths in them. And you may ask yourself, Brian, is this, is this really against the commandment? Like, talking about bearing false witness, does gossip really fall in that? Well, remember, the standard is a perfect truth. And let me ask you a question. Do we repeat things about others? Do we repeat things about our church? Do we repeat opinions that we think others have that we can't be 100% sure if we're telling the whole truth and nothing about the, but the truth? If you're more than two or three links down that line of somebody telling you something, I, I can guarantee you, you can't be sure you're relaying a perfect truth. And the problem is, is that this will lead to destruction in so many different ways. It's, it's not a harmless act. It may seem like it's harm. Oh, Brian, I just need somebody to talk to. But, but it leads to destruction when we tear people down. See, the father of lies in the Bible, he has another, another title 
I don't know if it's a title. He has another, another way of being explained. And it, it refers to him as a lion who roams around seeking who he can destroy. See, those lies aren't put out there because he's bored or because it's fun. Lies are put out there, or non-truths, or less than perfect truths are put out there for the purpose of destroying. And, and when we find ourselves getting in the middle of this train of here's the rumor, and here's what so-and-so did, and let me tell you about this, what we find is we're engaging in the destruction of ourselves because fueling that, that desire to, to spill the, the juicy news is not healthy for us. We're destroying the person we're talking to because now we're altering their perception of somebody who God loves with enough passion. He died for them. And we would dare take that person and sit aside and say, let me tell you the negative about them. And we destroy the reputation of the topic of the person that we're talking about. See, lies, gossip, anything that is less than a perfect truth is destructive to us. Our next take home truth is less than perfect truths are destructive and devalue others. That's not God's plan for us. God's plan is not for us to devalue and destroy others. In fact, it's just the opposite. Listen to Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It's very clear. Don't let it come out. Don't speak it. But, my favorite word in scripture, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know what the word edify means? It means to build up. The Bible tells us, don't get caught up in letting corrupt, broken communication come out of your mouth, out of lies and rumors and gossip. If you're going to speak, speak things that build people up. Speak things that make them better. Speak things that make them think better of others. And listen to what it says, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You have power of your words to change the perceptions of people around you. To, to speak to them in a way that gets them to understand grace and that, that maybe they will want to build others up. 1 John 3.18 defines love. Listen to this. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Interesting thing about our Bible is, is it equates love and truth together. That these two things are somehow connected. And, and if, I guess if you think about it, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like, like if Jesus said, I am the truth as a personal identifier, don't we also know that a personal identifier of God is God is love? So if truth is God and love is God, then truth and love are both part of the character of God. But yet we're still tempted to want to tear others down. We're still tempted to want to hurt others and I have to ask, well, why is this such a temptation for us? Why is it when I hear something negative or I observe something negative about somebody, that just makes me, like, I need to tell somebody. I felt that this this week in this church building, Wednesday night. Why, why is that part of us that I just like, I've got to get it out. I've got to tell me. I've got to tell somebody. And the truth of it is, is almost always it comes because we're insecure in who we are. You, you go to any school and you look at a bully. What do they want to do? They want to knock others down so that they feel higher. What are we doing when we're tearing others down instead of building them up? We want to knock them down so that we can feel higher. It's because we look at ourselves in the mirror and we wonder about our value. And we look at others and we go, I wonder if their value is higher than mine. I perceive they're better than me. I perceive that people like them better than me. So I've got to find a way to make myself feel better or get people on my side. But listen, that low self-value is a, is a lie. 
Well, when you look in the mirror and, and you find a, a low self-esteem or your self-value is low, that, that's a lie that Satan has stolen from the truth of God's word. When you, when you hear yourself thinking, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, nobody likes me, I have no value, those, those are not rooted in truth. Those are lies that Satan gives you. What was the first lie that Satan ever told? If you're interested in it, it's in Genesis chapter 3. The first thing that, that Satan ever told people. And if you look at that deeply, we, we know the story of what Satan said to Eve. He came to Eve and he said to her, oh, you won't really die if you do this. But what did he tempt her with? What was the temptation? The undertone of that is he's saying, you're not enough the way that you are. You're, you're worthless like that. God is higher than you and he doesn't want you to be that way. Listen to what he was saying. He was questioning her identity. Is God's identity really good enough for you? Is what God says really good enough for you? Or do you want to be something more because you're not as good as you can be now? That's what Satan wanted. And then he looked at her and he said, and what are you going to do about it? Here's some fruit. It's the same lie Satan uses today as he questions our identity. He said, is the identity that God gave you enough for you? Is he telling the truth? Are you worthless? Can God, can God really change you? Do you really have value? And then he asks us, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to tear somebody else down to make your value higher? Are you going to devalue others so you can feel worthy? And it's all a lie. And here we see that breeding I was talking about. Because we believe Satan's lies about our identity. Because we believe Satan's lies about who we are and our worthlessness. Or what he calls our worthlessness. It breeds a new lie that I have to tear somebody else down. Maybe I have to embellish a little bit. Maybe I have to admit a detail, but I have to find a way to do that. But the perfect truth is out there, and where perfect truth is, lies can't live. Listen to our last take-home truth, and this is, this is the answer to all the lies that Satan tells us. The perfect truth is your value is sealed and is, and is immeasurable. So if we want to combat lies, the lies that Satan tells us, we combat them with the truth. Where you shine light, there is no darkness. And the perfect truth is, is that you are the most loved creature in the universe. The perfect truth is that, that God wants you more than anything in this world. The perfect truth is that your value is unchangeable by your actions. And if we start to believe that instead of believing the lies, the lies stop breeding. And the lies start coming out, stop coming out of us. And if you ever wonder if that's true, if you ever wonder what the value that Scripture places on you, I can tell you this, the perfect truth is, is more than just what you say. The perfect truth is a person. And the perfect truth died on a cross for you and me because our value is so high. And it's not because we had an innate value, it's because He decided we were valuable to Him. You and I were worth the price of the perfect truth's blood, and we didn't deserve this love. Even when it comes to lying, even when it comes to small things where we, where we fail at the truth. Listen to Proverbs 19.9. It says, A false witness, a liar, shall not go unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. Live if you want to start to make your way up here. And across time, God looked forward at us, and he saw us in the future. And he knew that we would be guilty of this, that we would be the kind of people that would in ourselves want to tear others down, the kind of people that would spread rumors, the kind of things that would add to stories that would take away good tells, details. God knew that we would be those kind of people. But he looked across time and he looked at you and he said, they're worth it. There's a punishment for even the smallest lie. 
it won't go unpunished. But the good news is that punishment was given to Jesus Christ so that you wouldn't have to have it. And this morning, I just I hope that our hearts are always open to the Word of God. I hope that we're willing to be corrected if there's something that we fell at. I hope more than anything, if, if you're here and you've not put your faith in Christ, that this convicts you that you need Him, even if you just told a small lie when you were a child. This is our reflection time. I would love for you to come pray. I will pray with you. I'll talk with you. But don't leave here the same way that you came in. Leave here different. <laughs>